Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to, uh, to today where we kick off a brand new message series here at Encounter called The Apostles' Creed. And uh, in a series like this, especially, I think it's maybe worth taking like a half step back and kind of asking the bigger question of why. Why would we do this? Why would we spend our time uh, with the Apostles' Creed? Why would we enter into this? How in the world is, uh, is what we're going to study about today, is what we're going to learn today, going to impact my tomorrow? Uh, how in the world is this content supposed to change my life starting today? And that, that's a great question. And to get at that kind of the why, I want to frame really this entire series uh, with this. You may have noticed that Christians, uh, followers of Jesus, have a really difficult time like nailing down what our, what our essential beliefs are, like what, what those core things are. You may have noticed over time some rhetoric and conversations among good, honest Jesus followers where people just don't, can't see eye to eye. And what this series is about is really bringing around and saying, historically, the church in all times and places, what has been that irreducible minimum? of what it means to call myself a Christian, of what it means to be a Jesus follower, recognizing that it's really, really hard to do. I mean, we, we have this uh, tendency uh, in the church as followers of Jesus to say, you know, what, what is it that you believe? And it's like, well, that's no problem. I believe the Bible, right? The whole, the whole thing, the Bible. And the problem with that, first of all, good source, good answer, good on you. However, the downside is that the Bible clocks in at right around a million words, which is kind of a big statement of faith, right? And so what if you had to like summarize that? Especially because we all have our own way of summarizing it, right? When we have something that's a million words long, what we do is the same thing that our kids do over breakfast in the morning. Every time we pour the Lucky Charms into the bowl, what happens? The marshmallows and the little oat things start to get separated out. And what's the favorite? It's the marshmallows, like every time. And you're left with a cereal, like, dude, I don't think that's good or good for you, right? And we can blame our kids, but you guys, I do the same thing. My buddies brought me to a breakfast buffet that was amazing one time. And I get up in the line, yes, I get French toast. Yes, I get scrambled eggs. But I also see there's a sushi station, and then there's steak. And then like a German chocolate cake to come along with Because like, why not, right? And I get back to the table and I've got this like weird meal in front of me. It's 7.30 in the morning. It's not good or good for me. So we need, we need better. Like how are we going to bring this million word buffet down to a representative portion that gives us the irreducible minimum in right around 100 words? And that's the Apostles' Creed. Apostles' Creed, by the way, is not, is not named because the apostles got together and they wrote it all. No, but the Apostles' Creed is a summary of belief in that next generation of what the apostles were teaching based on what Jesus told them. The Apostles' Creed in its form that we have now comes to about maybe 5th or 6th century AD, but really it dates back even further than that. Some of the earliest versions of what we just heard, the Apostles' Creed is around 140 AD because the church, particularly the church in Rome, started writing down what they, were, what they believed because... They were getting pressure from both sides. They were getting pressure from the imperial the government, the Romans, that were persecuting them. And they were also getting pressure from the spiritual leaders, the, the Jewish synagogue leaders, and persecuting these Christians for their beliefs. So the Christians in Rome were like, what is it 
specifically that you're asking me to die for. Which if you're going to die for your belief, I think you have the right to know just what specifically, in a hundred words or less, 12 lines or less, what it is that you're asked to die for. And that we have the Apostles' Creed. It's a four-week-long series, and we're going to kind of move through it line by line. I want to introduce to you the first, the first line. It says this, I believe, there are a key word there, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Uh, we're going to start with just that word believe, because I think it's really important to kind of get on the same page here. Uh, believe, sometimes we say the word like Apostles' Creed. Uh, the creed comes from the Latin word credo, which the church in Rome that first was like penning this thing uh, in Latin where they spoke, the first word would have been credo in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And it's like, as I say that, and as we get into the content of this series, like, I want to kind of acknowledge there's a few different groups in the room, Right? Some of you guys in a counter is a, an eclectic church, and we love that, right? Some of you guys come from like the, the, the higher liturgical end. It's like Catholic, Anglican, maybe some Lutherans put in there. And you're like, yes, Apostles' Creed, let's go. I am in. And I want to invite you to just chill for a little while, right? <laughs> Because there's another group of people in the room. Remember, we're eclectic. And you come from like this Baptist or Pentecostal background. And you're like, no creed but Christ. No creed is just the Bible. That's it. And you're like going, dude, I'm in church and we're doing a creed. I think I might get struck by lightning right now. And so we're going to kind of get on the same page. And we're going to do that two ways. The first one is this recognition that we all have a creed. Like whoever we are. Whatever we come from, Christian, not, anything it is, we all have a creed. You see them everywhere. You just drive around town for a little while and you see those little yard signs, suck. It's like, in this house, we believe science is real, love is love, etc. That's a creed. That's like the creed for the house. You get in, in line at the store or whatever and you see like the bumper sticker in front of you that says Blue Lives Matter. That's a creed. Some of you were taught a creed about caring for the planet, reduce, reuse, recycle. This is a creed. And so in this series, what we're doing is, again, taking that half step back and saying, what's like the creed over all the creeds? Like, what, what's the statement of belief that supersedes every other statement of belief? Like, the lens through which we look at those other creeds and evaluate them? And what's the lens that we use to actually look at the entire world? That's the first one. We all have a creed. And the second one, I think this is going to help you guys out, especially if you're like kind of on the, on the Baptist Pentecostal side of things, uh, and you're like, I don't know, the creeds make me nervous. Uh, we, we don't have an intention in this series of preaching a creed, right? I think they're helpful. I think it's great. We're not moving on to Nicaea after this. We don't have Athanasian creed queued up after that one. We, we, the, that's not the point. The point isn't the creed. The point is Christ. We have a big banner outside that says we keep Jesus at the center. He's the, he's the point. He's at the center. And we're using these different tools to get at, to move toward him. We're not preaching the creed. We're preaching the scripture, those eyewitness accounts of Jesus that help us move closer and closer to him all the time. Maybe this analogy is going to be helpful. If you go outside, not, not like tonight, but like later in May. You go outside later in May, and you're going to see a full moon. And if the sky is clear, good luck. But if the sky is clear, you're going to go outside. And that full moon will be so intensely bright 
that you won't even need like a flashlight to go for a walk. You won't need streetlights lighting your way because that full moon is like beaming down, right? You can picture that. Now, some of you science people, you guys know the light, the, the, the moon doesn't actually emit or generate any of its own light. A little science lesson for you, okay? The, the moon is, is shining bright because it's reflecting the light originated out of the sun, which is on fire and super hot, technical term. The sun is beaming down, it's reflecting off the moon, and that's what we look at as being super bright. The moon doesn't generate its own light, it only reflects the light. Also, the moon is not made of cheese, that's a lesson for another time. We look at scripture and we look at the creed especially as like the moon. It helps, to, it helps us to see some things that maybe we'd skip over. But it doesn't generate its own, its own light. It's only useful as it reflects the light of Christ emanating out of the sun. See what I did there with the sun? S-O-N, S-U-N. You'll get there, I promise. A couple, uh, couple of helps, thank you. Uh, okay, so what do we believe? What do we believe? And this is what we are preaching. We're going to the Bible. We're going to Paul, who's writing to the church in Rome. And I love that because the creed, this creed, it generated in Rome a little after this was written. But nevertheless, Paul writes in Romans 10, verse 9. He goes, here it is right here. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. That word belief is so important. Again, they would have read that in, in Latin. The, the, those words were written in Greek. They would have interpreted that in Latin because they were in Rome as credo, as a belief. If you believe in your heart, there is a difference, isn't there, between knowing something and believing something in your heart? Between knowing something in your head and believing something in your heart? The difference usually is one of them leads you to action and the other one doesn't. This distinction is massive. And so I just want, I want to point out that there's many of us in the room watching online that we know some things that don't stir us, that don't move us to action. Show of hands, let's be brave, let's be courageous. Who knows something uh, that, that you should do that you don't do? Or who knows something that you don't do that you should do? Come on, put them up, let's go. Yeah, exactly. Everywhere, Fulton, right? Come on. I see you guys. We know that, right? And if you didn't put your hands up, like, it's okay. You're like a liar, but there's no better place <laughs> than church for that. We know things all the time that we don't follow up on. Remember in quarantine, there was a thing that went real that went viral about the guy who's like, here I am going on a silly little walk for my silly little mental health, right? He's like, this is what I just have to do. And we all laugh about that. And we're like, yeah, I'm not going for a walk. Watch another reel. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> right? We know these things, but it doesn't motivate us. I know, right? We know we should probably move around a little outside. We should probably eat a few more green leafy vegetables. We know that, and then we don't. I'm dealing with the peanut butter pie I had last night, still processing that on a few levels, right? We know that it just doesn't move us to action, right? We know that we should probably put the phone down and look up. We know that we should limit some of our social media intake every once in a while. We know that it just doesn't motivate us to action because head knowledge tends not to do that super, super well. We're motivated by action, not only by what we know, but by what we love. What, what motivates us, what catalyzes us, Whatever those affections are that are stirred up, whatever, whatever we long for, we're motivated by those things. 
this French philosopher and writer that I cannot pronounce his name. I tried a few times, missed it every time. So you can email me afterward if you're wondering who it is that said this. But it's so good, I wanted to read for you anyway. If you want to build a ship, don't drum up people to collect wood and assign tasks and work. Rather, teach them to long for the endless immensity of the open sea. Translation, if you want me to, if you want to motivate me to get outside and maybe move around a little bit, don't send me peer-reviewed journal articles about the health and benefits of exercise into old age, of the benefits of green leafy vegetables and vitamins and minerals. I know that already. It doesn't motivate me. If you want me to get outside and move around a little, cast me this vision of me as an 85-year-old man on the floor wrestling with my great-grandkids. That hits in my heart. That's not knowing in my head. That's believing in my heart. And Paul's saying, that's what we're looking for here. When you believe something on such a gut-heart level that you're stirred to action because of it, that's a faith in Jesus that saves. I believe in my heart. What, what is it that I believe? Thank you for asking. Um, back to the creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And there it is right there. Father Almighty. Mighty creator. Merciful Father. Infinitely above. Intimately close. I think Jesus is the best. Uh, Matthew is the one who recorded a teaching of Jesus. We call this Sermon on the Mount. It, Jesus is looking around at his followers and going, I think you guys could use some instruction on how to pray, which was helpful and not at all insulting. The disciples were open to it, and they're like, when we pray and you pray, it feels like two things are, different things are going on here. So teach us to pray. Luke says, I was the one who asked, you know, uh, the disciples asked for it, and Jesus is responding. He goes, when you pray, Matthew 6, verse 9, maybe consider starting off like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You hear the echoes of that. God, the Father, almighty creator of heaven and earth. He's two things, Father in heaven. Hallowed, sacred, holy, set apart is your name. Our Father in heaven who created heaven and earth and the languages and everything in between. He's a mighty God. He's a merciful Father. And we need both of those. May we not forget that you're going to go outside today, and even though it's like 45 degrees, you're going to go outside. And if it's still sunny, you're going to feel, you're going to feel the warm, radiant heat of a nuclear fire 92 million miles away. Like, like don't take that for granted for just a minute, right? That the center of our solar system is a sun that's so hot and so on fire that the heat, that the warmth will radiate to us 92 million miles away. And we're not going to say that it's going to burn us up. No, because of our Father who loves us, who cares about us, who's close to us, we're going to experience that heat as warmth. And the sun isn't even like big on the scale of stars. There's other stars that are even bigger than that one. The mighty creator, God of the universe. The star I was reading about called Beetlejuice, not just 
a movie that traumatized my childhood and maybe some others. But the sun, our sun could fit inside of this other star, Betelgeuse, like 1,400 times. There are stars so big. Our whole universe, Pluto included, I assume, not universe, our solar system, Pluto included, can fit inside of this larger star. When we start talking about God, almighty creator of heaven and earth, it's worth asking a question. How do you approach a God like that? And Jesus says, try this one on for size. When you start, dad, <laughs> right? But, but he's both. He's, our, he's a mighty creator. He's also a merciful father. And we've got to keep those in tension. And that's what the creed helps us to do. So each one of these installments, we're going to see it through the lens of the creed. It helps us to stay, number one, broad, and number two, balanced. It helps us stay broad. It helps us stay broad um, because once we start looking through the faith from our particular position, a position in North America in the 21st century, we look at it through the lens of asking the questions that 21st century North American Christians are asking. And these are not bad questions to ask. We've got to figure some of this out, right? So we're looking at our faith through the lens of what's the responsible use and expression of my own sexuality? These are legitimate questions. Uh, how should a government be run? How should the government be run best for the flourishing of every uh, image-bearing citizen within those borders? This, which is everybody, by the way. We, we, legitimate question, right? God says he created the world in seven days. Where, where does the Jurassic period of dinosaurs like, fit into this Genesis 1 account? These are legitimate questions that we're asking. They're also uniquely 21st century North American questions that we're asking. When we open up this, when we open up the creed and we see what Christians over the last couple thousand years across the whole planet, the kind of questions that they were asking and answering, we start to have our faith broadened from just the questions that we've been asking kind of lately. And I think that's helpful. It's brought, it also keeps us, it keeps us balanced. And we don't tend to appreciate balance until we find ourselves out of balance, like toppling over, right? That's when we're like, some balance would have been preferred at this particular occasion. We also see it sometimes in things that we work very, very hard toward that are maybe not the most balanced approach we could have taken. Some of you have been to a gym and you've seen some people working out and I'm talking about the big dudes on the bench press. Four, 500 pounds, right? These guys just massive, just ma arms as big as my body and chest. And they're like hitting it for reps. And you're like, that's impressive. He's probably worked out before in his life. Except for in many gyms, he, that dude is, is wearing, wearing long pants. And you're going, it's 90 degrees outside. It's hot. It's sweating. You've got like a, like a paper-thin tank top to show off those arms, which again, I get it. I'm not, right? But the jeans are a little confusing to me. The baggy pants are kind of confusing to me. And you know what happened, right? The dude never, he never did leg day. He's out of balance. He's like a Dorito chip with like toothpicks on the bottom. And the only way he can fake it is by keeping the pants on, right? He's not switching to shorts. He's not showing off those white toothpicks that he's got going on there. No way. And again, I aspire to be that guy. So I'm not like criticizing him all that much. I've just been blessed with friends of mine who say, bro, you got to hit the legs every once in a while, okay? I'm not going to let you, because I care, I'm not going to let you become the Dorito that's out of balance. You're not going to be a punchline in, in one of my sermons later on. I'm like, thank you. Balance 
matters. Theological balance matters even more. It matters who you believe your God is. That has an impact. And so what I'd like to do is just to read the rest of this prayer. It's kind of a creed of a prayer, really, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, by the way, side point, our Father in heaven, God isn't God if he lives just at the apartment next door. Our Father in heaven, location matters. Ask a realtor. Um, Verse 10, creator of heaven, uh, hallowed be our name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're looking at this story through the lens of mighty creator, merciful father. You want to talk about power and authority? Jesus walks up to his, his friend's tomb. And his, his friend's family says, Jesus, ah, go home. Back away, man. It's the only time we quote the King James Version of the Bible around here. John 11, he stinketh, Jesus. <laughs> go home. And Jesus says, no, I won't. Because death has no authority here. He calls out to his friend Lazarus, who's been dead for four days. And he essentially says, Lazarus, my will on earth as it is in heaven, you are not allowed to stay dead. Come on out. And verbatim, the dead man came out. That's power. That's authority of the mighty creator. Verse 11, give us today our daily bread. We look at the story through the lens of a father. And there's a difference between wants and needs, isn't there? Like some of you have been entrusted to kids, either for their lives as a parent or just a babysit, like you get there's a difference between wants and needs. And God says, I will give you everything that you require to live out my calling in your life for your benefit and for my glory. I'll give you your needs. And some of us, we look at and he go, man, he went above and beyond to give me my wants, a lot of my wants as well. But he doesn't owe it to all of us to give us every want every time. Because that's not what a good dad does. It's only a selfish and unloving dad who gives everything that every child of his wants. Because some things, because of their maturity level, some things are just not good for them. And a good dad withholds those and holds those back. Some of you know because he did not, God did not grant you the request of your prayers sophomore year in high school and now you're an adult and you're going, thank you Jesus for not making that one true. I had no idea what I was praying for, but you did. Because God, you had a perspective that was wider. You had a vision that was so much grander than than what I did. And the same is still true. I'm in this conversation with my kids right now, and we're talking about, like, cell phones, 9 and 12-year-olds. God help me, honestly. Some of you have had that. Send me your information, peer-reviewed articles. I I believe in my heart already. I just need the information. I just need the head knowledge. Help me out here. You guys have had this too, right, where you're like, what's the rules on this thing? And my kids, because of their limited perspective and and vision, are going, "These, these rules that you're coming up with, man, they are arbitrary, Why is it that I can have technology at the dinner room table in the middle of the afternoon, but I can't have technology in my bedroom after I go to bed at night? It doesn't make sense. Right? And I'm like, you know what? Honestly, from your perspective, it probably doesn't make sense. It probably does seem arbitrary. But listen, as your dad who's just read some things, who knows some things, who's experienced some things, listen, as your dad, my perspective and vision is wider and grander, and I'm just smarter than you are, child, except in math, I'm just smarter than you. 
And so I just need you to come along with me. And your father in heaven is looking at you and going, listen, I will give you your daily bread. You can trust me in that. And forgive us our debts, verse 12, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us into temptation. Lead us not into temptation. We can do that on our own. But deliver us from the evil one. Our takeaway here, our takeaway here, guys, is that the family is much broader than you think that it is. Our family is much, our family is broader than the reformed family of believers. Some of you have just figured out that this church generally is like reformed inclined and you're like, wait, what? I know, we're figuring it out, right? Partnership class is two weeks from now, small plug, right? But our family is bigger. And that's what I love about this church is that we come from all over the place and we're figuring it out together. Our family is so much bigger. Our family is bigger than the counter church. You know, you'd be wise to learn that on our staff, we pray regularly that Jesus would get the credit for what, what is happening here, not encounter church. He's the point, remember. Our family is much bigger. And our theology has to be much broader and balanced, even out. That we're not gonna let each other become Doritos with toothpicks. We're not gonna let each other, we'll switch it around. We're not gonna let each other be like the pro-level cyclist with tree trunks from leg and a little T-Rex for arms. We're not going to let each other become that theologically. Uh, theologian A.W. Tozer said that a church is only as great as its conception of who God is. So we need to get this thing right. And so what we're going to do is we're going to put a few pairings on the screen. And this is, this is, this is our action step for the week. We're going to put a few pairings on the screen. And what I want you to do is, is just to reflect, is just to contemplate, where has my theology gone? Where have I maybe, maybe erred too much on legs, not enough on arms, or vice versa? We believe that God is mighty creator and merciful father. Where am I being torn toward? and Where could I be open to the divine correction of God's Holy Spirit living inside of me? We believe that God is infinitely above and intimately close. Where might God move me? We believe that God is beyond comprehension and also right there beside me and you. How would he move you? Not a rhetorical question. I want you to go home. I want you to talk about it. Because this matters. It has long been observed that our view of our creator, Father in heaven, is derived in no small part based on the experience of our dads here on earth. And so I want you to, I want to invite you to consider how have I been moved one way or the other? Recognizing some of you have had really, really good dads. Others of you have bad dads. The rest of you had the best they could dads. And in some way, shape, or form, it impacted you. And this is just our helpful way of saying, like, where do we got to move? Some of you grew up with a father, and it was just like, hey, listen, he was awesome. He's a good guy. No complaints. 
But the, but the rules of engagement at the house is if you do something dumb, don't get caught. Especially not by dad. Because you knew who was going to drop the hammer. And so you grew up and your view of God becomes like that policeman in the sky. And you're like, I mess up every once in a while. And my job is just to make sure that he doesn't catch me. Because that's his job. To nail me. And I don't want him to get me. So I'm going to avoid him. I'm going to peacefully obey the rules. And I'm going to try to avoid him. And I want to let you know that he is not just a policeman in the sky. He's not just a mighty creator. He is also your merciful father. This is important because some of you believe in a God. I have no problem believing that he is so infinitely above. That he created everything. By his word, he spoke it into existence. It's just once he spoke it into existence, he said it and forget it. He stepped away. And he said, it's good. It's going on its own. And you're like, that's my view of God. He's just distant. He's not really involved at all. And I need you to know, he's intimately close. And I would, I would believe that God's Holy Spirit is nudging your heart to open yourself up to a father who's close. This is going to be super hard for some of us to hear, but we're going to say it anyway. Some of us believe. Some of us can't believe in a God who might disagree with me. I've got some certain convictions about how I should live, about how people should live, about how the world should operate, and I cannot believe in a God that would. I cannot believe in a God that would get angry even if we call it righteous. I cannot believe in a God like that. And we're going to lovingly, we're going to lovingly correct in saying maybe he is beyond comprehension. Maybe he is infinitely above. Maybe he is mighty creator more than we thought that he would. Maybe it is possible for a God to be love, but also to hold within his personhood a righteous kind of anger. And maybe those two things aren't actually intention at odds with each other, but maybe it's possible that one flows out of the other. That a loving father, creator, would in fact get righteously angry at some of the terrible things that happen in this world and said, I will do something about it. And some of you dads, you get it, don't you? You get it because you're not a violent person. I'm not a violent person. But you come after my daughter and like, We'll see what happens, right? I'm not angry, generally. I'm not a violent, I'm not a hate-filled person. I don't throw punches. I don't, I'm not that guy. I work out for aesthetic reasons, not for anything. No, I'm just kidding. I just want to wrestle around with my grandkids, right? I'm not a violent person, but like come after me, and I'm happy to lose my job and start a prison ministry. Like we can do that, <laughs> right? And it's not because I'm not loving as a dad. It's contrary. It's exactly because I'm loving as a dad. So where are, we te- where are we pulled? And where would God pull you? What you believe about God matters. And sometimes on this pastoral journey, I get to just remind you of who your father is. Your father in heaven isn't like a father. He is your father. You are grafted into his son, Jesus Christ, and his adopted son and daughter. He looks at you as being his family, along with his son, Jesus Christ. He's not like a dad. He is your dad. And I just want to remind you of what your dad is like. The story is, uh, is Diane, when she went to school, 
early on. And she knew about her dad because he was, uh, he was available. You know, he had a job. He went off, you know, did the thing. He came home from work. He dropped her off at school in the mornings. Uh, he would tell her fun stories at night. He played with her, helped her on stuff. It's pretty typical. And she goes, she goes to school, and, and she introduces herself to the class as a new student, and she, in Southern California, says, um, this is my name, my name is Diane Disney. And the class just loses it, right? They're in L.A. area, and they're like, what? come on now. You're pulling my leg, right? And she's like, I don't get it. And so the teacher goes, Diane, just take another minute, gather yourself, introduce yourself again, and she says, I'm Diane Disney. And class loses it one more time. Teacher calms everybody down and says, um, Diane, what's your dad's name? And she said, Walter. And the class absolutely goes bananas because it's like, it's Walt Disney, Walt Disney, your dad. And she's like, no, my dad's Walter. Like I tried to explain. It's Walter Disney and my name is Diane Disney. And the teacher like pulls her to the side. The class is losing it, right? Because Disneyland is not too far away. And everybody's like, you know, Mickey Mouse, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Trying to like explain this thing to her. And she's like not totally getting there. And, and her teacher's like, no, no, Walter equals Walt. Like it's the same name, right? Look around. So she goes home and she's her dad sitting reading the newspaper on the chair. Puts the paper down, puts her little hands on her little hips and says, you did not tell me that you are Walt Disney. <laughs> How that would change things. How that would change your birthday parties. How that would change what you ask for for Christmas. Like pretty soon she's putting it together and she's like, that little dollhouse that you made for me looks a striking resemblance to the entrance of Disneyland in Southern California. Like, come on now. You didn't tell me who you were. And he said, I did. I've been here your whole life. I've been here the same. You just didn't see it. Your dad is so infinitely better than Walter Disney. How would that change your Christmas to know that when you sit down, you pray to the almighty God creator of the universe? How would that change your birthday parties? Better yet, this moment, as you go off that doors, how does your life change knowing who your dad really is? I want you to stand up, and we're going to end our time a little bit differently. All of our locations, if you're watching online, coffee shop, driving, pullover, this is a good time. We're going to end our time together by joining our voices with the broad and balanced voice of Christians for the last 2,000 years in reciting the Apostles' Creed together. This is a bit new for us, so I want to make sure it's on the screen before we start off. Otherwise, we're going to be all over the place. All right, let's read this one all together, and this is how we'll end our time. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. 
I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let's keep on worshiping together. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.